I am allergic to cats. But when I was a little girl, I was obsessed with having kitties. I just loved cats, and I wanted them so bad. So I found that if I took just a few precautions, if I took allergy medicine every time I was going to play with my kitties, and if I didn't put my face in their fur, even though it was so hard not to kiss their fur, and if I washed my hands before touching my eyes, I could snuggle and play with my cats. I might feel a little sniffly afterwards, but it was so worth it. Unfortunately, due to that cat allergy, our cats couldn't be in our homes. Um, they had to be at home in the garage. So this led to a larger than normal cat mortality rate in my house. Many of our cats ended up delivered into God's hands from the tires of our family vehicles. It was cold outside, you know, lived in a place that was cold, so they need to get in the garage. It was awful. So I'm pretty sure that everyone in my house with a driver's license was responsible for one of these cats dying. Um, in addition to the vehicle danger, because we lived in the woods and our cats would go out hunting, a lot of them never came back. Uh, there was predators out there. Suffice to say, I was accustomed to my little heart breaking from losing my beloved feline companions. So when one of my cats disappeared, Fluffy Junior, yes, I started naming them Junior and the third, etc., etc., because we lost so many of them, I wasn't necessarily shocked. She was a kitten and I was heartbroken, but it was another grief and we knew that she hadn't been hit by one of the cars, and so we assumed that she had been killed by a predator in the woods. After she'd been missing a couple of days, however, as I was looking out the window of my bedroom across the, the lawn to our little playhouse that we had, I saw a little tiny furry face in the window. I was so excited. I knew it was Fluffy Jr., and I ran across the yard, and I opened the door, and the first thing that cat did was run straight to the compost pile and start eating an old head of lettuce. She was ravenous, single-minded, starving. I grabbed her cat food, and my tears of joy brought her this cat food, and she gobbled it down. Um, but until she saw the better food, she was happy and not complaining about eating those old odds and ends of veggies out of the compost pile. When you're starving, you'll eat anything. You're not concerned about what is put before you. Jesus encountered a starving woman in our gospel this morning. She was desperate and willing to do anything for the healing of her child. I have to confess that I really don't like this story. <laughs> the whole pericope, it goes from, from this strange story of Jesus saying this awful thing to this woman to then this, this weird spitting thing <laughs> with the <laughs> spitting on the tongue and all of that, and especially in a global pandemic. I mean, just, it's just a weird gospel for this morning. Some of the gospel writers, in fact, left this story out entirely, and I don't blame them. It's not necessarily a good look on Jesus. In our gospel, Jesus straight up calls the Syrophoenician woman someone who is a descendant of ancient enemies of the Israelites, a racial slur, and then suggests that she should get leftover scraps after the real children of God get what is coming to them. He essentially tells her, go to the compost pile if you're so desperate for healing. There's nothing for you here. It's hard to read. 
Many biblical scholars try and do all kinds of mental and theological gymnastics to rationalize Jesus' response. They say things like, he was probably just trying to prove a point, or this was just hyperbole, or this couldn't be what it looks like. But none of these explanations necessarily ring true. They don't seem like Jesus. It just doesn't seem like Jesus to use a hurting woman to try to prove something. It doesn't seem like Jesus to dehumanize someone for the benefit of a lesson. To me, the most helpful reading of this text is not that Jesus was just doing something awful to prove a point, but that he made an honest mistake based on what he had known up until that point. And when he was shown the error of his ways, he changed. We don't talk much about Jesus getting it wrong. For one, he didn't do it often. And our entire religion is centered on God becoming flesh and living among us and showing us how to live and how to be. And part of that is how to be human. And a really, really big part of being human, if we're being honest, is being wrong. Jesus showed us how to live in a way that is truthful, how to live in a way that is healing, how to live in a way that is love. Jesus showed us with his very life and death how to live resurrection, how to be the kind of life in the world that is truly life. But Jesus also showed us how to be wrong. One of the most poignant ways we can relate to Jesus is in Jesus' humanness. We find this evidence of Jesus getting it wrong and then then turning it around here, and it gives us a bridge of mercy, a bridge of grace out of our own wrongs that are sometimes way, way too often in our lives. Psychologist John Gottman says one of the most meaningful gifts a parent can give to a child is to acknowledge their own mistake, to say, I was wrong here, or I'm sorry. This is so powerful because it also gives the child permission to make a mistake, to admit that they messed up and that they're still okay. This is what this gospel does for us, broken people as we are this morning. For Jesus, that day, the desperate woman who was starving for healing for her daughter pointed the way forward. After telling her that she did not belong in that really offensive way and calling her a dog, essentially, she turned the conversation around and suggested that even dogs get to eat the scraps off the master's table. Her quick wit startled Jesus. He appreciated it. He liked quick wit himself. He realized that faith was possible outside of what he had always been taught. He thought his mission was just to the lost sheep of Israel, but God blew that wide open and showed him that his mission was to everyone all the time. Jesus saw that the scope of his own healing, his own purpose, his own destiny was bigger than even he had imagined. Jesus teaches us in this passage how to be wrong. Jesus did not get defensive when he was wrong, which is something that many of us do sometimes. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I know that we are all in this boat together. Jesus did not double down on his wrong and, and start to defend it. Instead, he simply abandoned it like so much worthless garbage 
He responded, okay, and I imagine he smiled and said, okay, you've got a point. Your daughter is healed. And by the way, you have amazing faith. Jesus, Jesus showed us in this moment of humanity, in this school of getting it wrong, how to be wrong with grace. If we find that we're wrong, we're not to spend time beating ourselves up. Not to spend time beating ourselves up for not knowing what we should have known. Instead, now that we know better, we do better. If we find that we are wrong, we can change course. We don't have to stay on that same old path, y'all. We are free to move in a new way. Jesus shows us. In this instance, Jesus had done something that to our eyes looks kind of terrible. But in his time, in his religion, it would have been 100% acceptable to do this. The Syrophoenician woman was a descendant of ancient enemies of the Israelites. He was raised to think that these folks were subhuman. He was taught that from a little boy. He might not have even ever heard them referred to as anything else but a racial slur. Not only that, but this was a woman coming forward and talking to him by herself without a man to who she belonged. All of it was incredibly inappropriate, not to mention that she was unclean, according to Jesus' religious standards. So from the first century religious perspective, he was totally reasonable in what he did. Do you hear that? The church-sanctioned way he treated that woman, sanctioned the way he treated that woman. Just because religious authorities espouse it does not mean that it is a value of God. God does not play by human rules. God does not play by religious rules. The kingdom of God is patterned on one thing and one thing alone, and that is love, the power of the resurrection. I think that what we're seeing in this gospel is so many things. <clears throat> it's a school of getting it wrong, of changing, of changing course. It's a bridge of mercy for those of us who have doubled down for way too long. And it's an emergence of Christian values and a reminder that the beginning, the end, and everything in between for God is love and mercy and grace and goodness. Jesus was hit upside the head by it just like we are. Being fully God and fully human, he had to unlearn things just like we do. He had to be confronted about things in his culture that were not in line with God's standards just like we do. He had to see things in his religion that did not line up with God's love just like we do. He made mistakes and was pointed in the right direction just like we are. A bridge of mercy. Grace, grace, grace. Jesus allowed his heart to expand and listened when someone he was taught to despise and, and suspect showed him a new way. This incredible grace shows us the way out of our tightly held wrongs. It cracks our hearts open allows God to inhabit our hearts in a new way and allows us to change, to grow, 
and to be a part of God's incredible healing of this beautiful world. Amen.